I do want to just give you a brief uh, kind of uh, report on the summer because it involves you in a very special way. Last year's senior class, as all senior classes do, give, gave the school a gift. And we've had a number of special gifts given to the college by senior classes, and they're always very, very ingenious. They come up with great ideas. Last year's senior class decided they wanted to buy Bibles for the Soviet Union, Bibles to be taken into Russia. In fact, this is one of them right here. This is a, actually a new Schofield edition in Russian, and uh, really a nice little Bible. And so there were 17 crates of these Bibles that uh, the senior class purchased, and the only thing they didn't know is how they're going to get them into the Soviet Union, which was the major deal. Well, I happened to be on a ship, and we were headed for Leningrad this summer, and we loaded on all 17 boxes or crates of these Bibles onto the ship with no idea just exactly how we were going to get them through the KGB when we got to Leningrad. And even though there is uh, perestroika and uh, glasnost in Russia, there is still a built-in sort of paranoia about foreigners and what they might be bringing into the country. They, uh, on, the, on the press, it may seem like freedom, but in reality in their lives, there's not a lot of freedom at all. And they're still bound just by habit from so many, many years of that. And so um, we didn't know what hoops we were going to have to go through to get these Bibles in. Now, of course, the black market is a major issue in Soviet Union. Anything that's worth anything gets on the black market because if you get it on the black market, you can sell it for European currency or American dollars, not rubles, and nobody wants rubles because they're worthless. And so everything that's any good gets on the black market. And the fear is that the Bibles are going to go in and these Americans are going to bring them in or whoever. And they're going to sell them to the black market people. And the black market people are going to distribute them and sell them. And the government won't have any say in it at all. And, of course, everything in the Soviet Union is owned by the government. Every business is owned by the government. Every piece of property is owned by the government. Uh, it's a, a sad situation. You can imagine how it was in the Bolshevik Revolution when between one day and the next day, everything that everybody owned was then the possession of the government. And so the government possesses everything, and there's a paranoia. Well, we didn't know what was going to happen. We, we didn't know how the KGB would respond. We docked the ship at Leningrad, and all these KGB agents line up outside the ship, you know, to do their thing. Most of them pretty young guys. And the KGB said, you cannot take these Bibles into Russia. We'll not allow it. Um, some of the people on the ship had also brought shampoo, deodorant. Russia's in major need of deodorant. And uh, some people brought deodorant. And some people brought shampoo. And some people brought, brought baby bottles because they don't even have baby bottles. They don't have anything, really. There's nothing to buy in the Soviet Union. Maybe Russ shared a little bit about it. There's nothing to buy there. There's nothing for them to buy. There's nothing for you to buy. And so these kinds of things would be very precious. So all of this stuff was there, and their fear was that it would get on the black market and it would be sold apart from the government authorization and all that. So they said, no, you can't take any of these Bibles into, into the Soviet Union. Well, a little more negotiating needed to be done, and finally the KGB guy who was the head honcho said, I'll tell you what, you can take them all in if you give me five. And so we said, well, why do you want five Bibles? He said, I want one for myself and four for my other agents. There's such a premium on the Word of God. 
So he said, but what you're going to have to do so we don't make a big stir, we can't offload all these boxes of Bibles. You're going to have to stash them in passengers' personal belongings and they can walk off with them. And so we were coming and going and every time on and off we were taking five or six Bibles and stuffing them in our shirts and bags. And we got all 17 boxes off and distributed to the church, to the, to the Leningrad Baptist Church where I preached one night. And uh, they absorbed all of those Bibles. Some of the people there wanted us to give them some extra ones for prisoners in prison. Because they're having a number of prisoners coming to know Jesus Christ and they don't have any way to get Bibles to them. So um, for those of you lingering seniors who are still here this year, all of your Bibles except one. I kept this one just to show you what they're like. But when I go back to Russia in a couple of weeks... I'll be there for two weeks with Bob Provost, and we'll be doing pastor's conferences. I'll take this one back and make sure somebody gets it. A little more personal incident. When I, when I got to Russia, of course, I had a, a Russian visa, and Patricia, my wife, did too. And so instead of going on some tour that the non-visa people take on a Russian bus, we just decided that we'd jump in a taxi cab. And so we went out on the dock, and we just looked for a cab. And uh, the Russian government, because of new tourism, has purchased some Mercedes and so what you have is these old Russian cabs that look like 25-year-old Fiats. Because Fiat taught the Russians how to build their cars 25 years ago, and so they all look like old Fiats. You know, those a little box on top of a big box, like a Fiat looks. And the new ones are these Mercedes that the government has purchased from Germany. So we, we uh, having a choice between a Fiat and a Mercedes, uh, opted out for the Mercedes, and it was really the Lord's providence, got in the taxi cab, and I began to discover that the Russian language is not unlike uh, Greek. And just knowing the Greek alphabet, I could figure out some of the Russian letters, and just knowing a little bit of Greek and having had Latin when I was a student, I could figure out a lot of the words. And so I be began to have a little conversation with a cab driver who had a very, very smattering knowledge of English. And between the two of us, we... We went all around Leningrad and had an incredible day. Well, it was actually half a day. At the end of the time when he brought us back to the ship, I said, um, I want to tell you something. And I, I said, um, I want you to know that I'm a Christian, that I love Jesus Christ. And he just lit up. And he said, me, Christian, me, Christian, me, Christian. And... Um, I began to talk to him as best I could, and he told me that his wife had come to know Christ a few months before through some Christians she had met, and she had led him to Christ, and he was a brand new Christian. So I said to him, do you have a Bible? Uh, he said, no Bible, no Bible. And I said, uh, would you like Bible? He said, in English? And I said, no, in Ruski. And he just... In Ruski? Bible in Ruski? I said, Bible in Ruski. Take me back to the ship. So I went back to the ship. He said, I can't take this Bible when anybody can see me. And so I had to go back. <laughs> his Bible stuffed in my... And I had to go back in his cab and drive about 15 minutes to some secluded place so I could hand it to him inside the cab. That's the paranoia. Well, you get the idea somebody is watching. It may be perestroika and glasnost in the press, but somebody is watching those people. 
because especially taxi drivers, anybody that works on a border has the capability of getting into the black market and they're paranoid about the black market. I ran into a number of students. By the way, when I gave him the Bible, he began to cry and he just kind of hugged it to his heart. Just tears in his running down his face, just overwhelmed at the Bible. We, we were amazed at um, the style of life there, and I don't want to belabor the point, but perestroika and glasnost means something to people outside of Russia. It means they probably aren't going to blow us up. But if you live in Russia, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean a thing. The only expression of freedom that they can exercise is religious. Now that they're free to come and go, they don't have any money to go anywhere. The average Russian makes 200 rubles a month. That's 50 bucks. Where's he going to go? Russia's massive. He can't get to the border, let alone across it, with that amount of money. And they have a rule in Russia that you, can no, you cannot take more than 200 rubles out of the country. So when you leave, you can only take 50 bucks with you. Where are you going to go? Furthermore, rubles aren't worth anything most places because there's no hard currency behind it. So glasnost and perestroika means nothing to them. There's nowhere to go, no money to get there anyway. The only way to make any money is get on the black market and collect American dollars, stash them away, and buy yourself a ticket out of there or European currency. In the meantime, about the only way they can express their freedom is through religion. And so there's a flood on the churches. People just running to all the churches. They're opening up the Greek Orthodox churches and, and of course, now the, the Baptist churches and even the underground churches. Everybody wants to go to church. Everybody wants a Bible because they want to find out what they've been deprived of. So it's a tremendously fertile, fertile place for the ministry. We got on a bus. We were supposed to get off this boat and a bus was going to come and take us to, to the church where I was to preach, Leningrad Baptist Church. Well, the KGB didn't want the, didn't want us riding on the church bus because they were, they don't know what we're going to do. So they sent the church bus back, the bus the church had provided, and they had a, a bus, a government authorized bus there, and they had provided a special translator who we found out later was a KGB member. And his deal was to go along with us and make sure we weren't doing something that wasn't right. So we got on the bus, he's a graduate of Moscow University, major in the English language, fluent English, we got on the bus and I sat with him and we began to talk a little bit. He told me that he and his wife and his two children lived with another man and his wife and three children in a two-room flat. He was on a ten-year waiting list to get his own apartment. And we met people who live with four families in a four-room flat, 31 people using the same bathroom. That's typical. 500,000 soldiers are coming back now under Glasnost and they don't know where they're going to put them. There's nowhere for any of them to live. The Siberian pipeline is rotted out and it's dripping all over the place. The whole country is in disarray. It's quite an amazing thing. And, and he began to talk to me a little bit about it. He said, I've never been to a church service. Can I go? He's an atheist, never been in a church. One time he said he went to a Greek Orthodox, Russian Orthodox church to watch a baby baptized. But never in a church service. So we took him in the church service and it blew all his fuses, needless to say. And uh, after the service, when we were leaving, we had an hour and a half conversation about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I gave him a Bible. And he just literally forgot his KGB assignment and began to ask these penetrating, heartfelt questions about the reality of Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of sin. His major concern was about forgiveness, forgiveness of sin. So it was a very, very exciting opportunity. And really, because of your generosity in providing these Bibles, all that kind of opened up. So we're real excited. You can keep praying that those Bibles are going to fall into the hands of the right people, right? And uh, that God will bear fruit from his precious word. 
We also had the opportunity to stop in England on the way and uh, get a little bit of a feed on our radio program, which is beaming across all of Europe. We're now broadcasting five days a week across Europe. Pray for that. It's really unbelievable what's happening. Some guy, some pastor from Germany went into Hungary, and he came out of Hungary after spending several months there with the Christians and came all the way to England to report to Word of Grace a grace to you, Europe, our ministry, to report to us that Hungarian Christians, many of whom speak English, are gathering all around the country, around the radio every night to listen to grace to you because they have not been taught the word of God. We're getting letters out of Romania all the way from Eastern Europe, sweeping clear across to England, Ireland, Scotland and Wales. Just astounding what God is doing through that radio ministry. The, uh, the people in England said we had your... Master's College Corral, they really loved you guys that were over there. They want to set up a thing next summer where we go together and I preach and you sing and uh, maybe kind of a fun opportunity. But I just wanted to give you that little bit of a report. One more personal note. You all remember Sujay Pillai? Great guy. I went to seminary with his father. He's from India. He wrote me a, a letter I thought I'd share it with you. Listen to this. Dear John, greetings from India. I'm Sujay Pillai. I graduated from the Masters last May 5th, and I'm in India now, reached here on the 9th of May. Now I am teaching English in our Grace Bible College. There are more than 370 resident students here, all of them called of God for a full-time ministry among the unreached areas of North India. We have an orphanage also with 320 children with a Christian school attached with it. All these children are growing in the grace of God. I am most thankful to God for the opportunity to be in the Masters to study under your supervision. I pray for you too faithfully and for your ministry. It is 120 degrees here. A real change for me from California. Things are much more difficult here and the powers of Satan dominate every area of life. But the Lord is doing tremendous things. Our mission has 295 small congregations scattered in five different states in North India, mostly with people coming from totally non-Christian backgrounds. We work in one of the most unreached areas of the world, North India. By the way, South India is where most all the Christians in India are. Village life, 85% of the population live in villages. In India is a different world. It is a great challenge for me to be with them and share their pains and sorrows and totally identify with them to bring them to Christ. The Lord showed that leaving the glory of heaven, humbling himself to the death of the cross to redeem us, we are to humble ourselves. No other way for these helpless millions. Someone has to pay the price. Just stop there for a moment and say, I've traveled to the villages of India and so have some of you. You know exactly what it's like to live in a little mud hut in the most primitive conditions on the face of the earth I don't know how you feel but it thrills my heart to see Sujay come to this point of dedication doesn't it in your life thrill you you that know him he writes we have a pastors conference every year more than a thousand pastors come and stay for eight days just before the graduation of our Bible college we have several seminars also each year I hope someday you will visit us and minister to our people my father was disappointed that you couldn't visit our Bible college when you were here in Delhi. Anyway, in God's own time, the Lord will arrange it. I'm writing this just to let you know what I'm doing now. 
I would very much appreciate your prayers for me and for our mission. We're facing lots of persecution from every direction, even from the government. But the Lord sustains us in his grace and power. Then he says this, my younger sister Jemima Pillai will be there at the master's college. Where are you, Jemima? Are you here this morning? Are you in chapel? Put your hand up somewhere. Is she here this morning? Where? Stand up. Let's welcome her. He says, I hope you may see her there. So I just wanted to fulfill his request. I see you here. I'll keep you informed of things happening. I feel I'm a part of your work through the Masters. Praise the Lord for every blessing I received there. My mother and father send their love to you. I've heard them praying for you many times. Well, God may not call us all to that kind of significance, but what a joy it is to know that we could have a little part in the life of this very special young man and in the life of this very, very wonderful family. Pray for Sujay and his family as they minister in what I have to believe is one of the very hardest places in the world to minister. And if you're interested at all in this Muslim ministry, you ought to take the class that Dr. Stead mentioned. It will be an eye-opener to you. A little time in the Word this morning to refresh our hearts as we approach this new day. And I want to take you to a text that might be an encouragement to you. I know it is to me. Open your Bible to Philippians chapter... Three, And I'm not going to spend a lot of time, maybe just 15 minutes or so, but I, I want to open it up to you and give you a little bit of a perspective. You know, I was thinking about what I might say to you on this first chapel time that I have the opportunity to speak. And I was talking to Russ and just saying, I, I, I want to share my heart a little bit. And as I sat back and thought about what my heart would say, I was drawn to this particular prayer of Paul in Ephesians 3 because it is his heart for the Ephesians and it really articulates exactly how I feel when I think about praying for you I couldn't put it in better words than the words of the Apostle Paul I want to read this for you chapter 3 verse 14 here is one of the great prayers of the shepherd for his sheep one of the great prayers of the pastor for his people for this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up with all the fullness of God now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Well, that is a glorious prayer. Usually when I exposit the scripture, I go from front to back. But in expositing this text for you this morning, I want to go from back to front. Okay? My prayer for you, and notice back in verses 14 and 15, he says, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I bow my knee to God. And what do I pray for you? What is my prayer for you, Ephesians? What is my prayer for you at the college? Well, ultimately, let's start with the ultimate prayer. Verse 21. That through you, God would receive the glory... 
that he would be glorified in the church and in Christ Jesus before all generations forever and ever. What is our primary purpose in life? To seek what? The glory of God. My prayer for you is that you would glorify God. That we together would glorify God. That to Him would be glory in our fellowship. That He would be honored and exalted and lifted up. Now you said that that was your goal too. Maybe you forgot, but that's exactly what you're saying. That your desire was to praise His name and lift up His name and honor His name. That's Paul's desire. And I know that's the desire of your heart as well. But how do we get to that point? That's the end of the prayer. Let's back into it one step further. Back to verse 20. The way you bring glory to God and glory to Christ is by allowing Him to work in you. Verse 20 says, Now to Him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all we can ask or think according to the power that works within us. I will be to the glory of Christ if His power is at work in me. I will be to the glory of God if His power is at work in me. If He is doing exceeding abundantly beyond all I can ask or think, according to that power, then it will be to His glory. And so, if I'm to be a Christian that lives to the glory of God, I have to be a powerful Christian. I have to yield to the one who is able to do More than I can ask or think. Look at that verse for just a moment. Just taking it piece by piece. He is able to do what I ask. He is able to do what I ask or think. He is able to do all that I ask or think. He is able to do beyond all that I ask or think. He is able to do abundantly beyond all that I ask or think. He is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that I ask or think. And when God so expresses his power in your life, you will be to the praise of the glory of Christ. A powerful Christian, a Christian in which God displays his power, a Christian who is seeing the hand of God at work on his life, is one who brings God glory. When I was in seminary, I used to wonder how how you could do beyond what you could think, because I could always think of a lot of things to do. I could have imagined all kinds of things. Well... God in His grace has let me experience far beyond anything I ever imagined. Far beyond anything I ever imagined. And that's as it should be. You should be surprised, as C.S. Lewis put it, surprised by joy. You should be shocked by how God uses your life beyond what you ever could have imagined. And then your life is to His glory. When, When it goes beyond what you could have planned, strategized, or even conceived. But what's the key to that? How is it that I can have such a powerful life? Well, if that's going to happen, my life has to be dominated by a certain commodity. Go back to verse 17, second half of the verse. You need to be rooted and grounded in what? In love. You may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up with all the fullness of God. If you're going to be a powerful believer, you're going to have to be a believer who is all wrapped up in a love relationship with Christ and the living God. It says in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy, it repeats it in the New, the words of our Lord, you shall love the Lord your God with what? All your heart, soul, 
mind, strength. Romans 5, 5 says the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. First Thessalonians, Paul writes and says, you don't need me to teach you how to love for you're taught of God to love. I believe that if we're going to be powerful Christians, our lives have to be dominated with love for God, love for Christ, love for one another, love for the lost. We must understand the breadth and length and height and depth of love. What does Paul say in 1 Corinthians 13? And now abides faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is what? Is love. Jesus said, by this shall all men know you're my disciples if you have love one for another. The compassion that serves the compassion that cares toward others and the love that calls for obedience toward God. If I am to give God glory, I must be a powerful Christian. If I'm to be a powerful Christian who does beyond what I could ever imagine, it'll be because my life is dominated by the fullness of God, which is the expression of his love. You say, well, how does that take place? Back to verse 17, beginning of the verse. We've got to go back one more step. Before you're going to experience that kind of love, Christ must dwell in your hearts through faith. You say, does that mean to be a Christian? No, we're already Christians. What does the word mean? Well, the word dwell means settle down and be at home. Settle down and be at home. Before I'm going to know the fullness of the love of Christ in me, Christ must settle down and be at home in my heart. Remember ever reading a little book called My Heart, Christ's Home? Wonderful little book. It's kind of like a, a, an analogy comparing a Christian to a house. Christ lives in the house, but never is able to sit down and be comfortable in the house because there's some closets that are full of sin. And until the believer goes through and cleans out the closet and sanctifies all the rooms, Christ can't settle down and be at home. You'll never be able to glorify God unless you're really a powerful Christian. You'll never be powerful unless your life is dominated by the love for God and the love of God. You'll never experience the love of God unless Christ is settled down and comfortable in your home. And that'll never happen until you've gotten the sin out. You need to deal with the sin in your life so that Christ can settle down and be at home. And if you back into verse 16, you'll see kind of how that works. He says, I pray that you would receive from God, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. The only way to have a clean inner man is to have the spirit of God clean it, right? The spirit's responsibility is to convict of sin. The spirit's responsibility is to turn the searchlight on and show us where we're failing and bring us to accountability. Now let's go through it the other way. Paul says, I want to pray for you. And the first thing I want to pray for you is that you'll be strong in the inner man. Character. That's my prayer for you. Not that you can play the game on the outside. Not that you can say the words on the outside. Not that you can conform on the outside for whatever purpose or agenda you have in mind. But that you are strong on the inside. I pray for your inner strength. I pray for your inner strength. Somebody was saying to me when I was up at the college camp at Hume Lake, you know, you need to tell those kids to stay away from sex sin. You need to tell those kids to stay away from seductive music. You need to tell those kids to stay away from rotten movies. You need to, and he went on and gave me, I said, wait a minute. You think sometime down the road they're going to start into some sin and they're going to say, whoops, John MacArthur said not to do that. Give me a break. No way. 
If they don't have the fabric of a strong inner man, they can't contain the outside, and somebody's exhortation isn't going to mean anything. There's something much deeper here than just telling you don't do this and don't do that and don't do this and don't do that. You've got to have the fabric of a strong inner man, and that's what keeps the course, that's what keeps the life, I should say, on course. So my prayer for you is that you would have a strong inner man, and that happens through the Holy Spirit. Being controlled by the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, yielded to the Spirit, which is a direct result of letting the Word of Christ dominate your life. And then I would pray that as the Spirit strengthens your inner man, part of that Spirit's ministry is to clean up your life. If you're filled with the Spirit, that means that sin is being dealt with. And at that point, Christ settles down and is comfortable in your home, in your home, in your life. And then he begins to shed his love abroad. And as that love is shed abroad, it not only goes back to him, but out to the world. And you are filled with all the fullness of God. Then you become a powerful person. And the result is God is glorified. So if you want to know what my prayer for you is, it's just what Paul said here. Strong in the inner man. With Christ at home in your heart. Because it's clean. Rooted and grounded in love so that you understand all of its dimensions. Filled up with all the fullness of God and therefore powerful and, be, and being able to do what you can't even imagine. And in the end, God will be glorified in your life. That's simple. And yet it's infinitely profound. That's my prayer for you. And it will be all this year long. As I make this my covenant with you. To pray you into Ephesians 3. 14 to 21. Will we pray that for each other this year? Let's do that.